Amen. Well, again, reading verses 1 through 11 of Matthew chapter 21, focusing in this morning on verse 9. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, so often during our work week, we're reminded of the sinfulness of the world in which we live. Indeed, we might even say that the world is still very much tortured or tormented by sin. It's broken by sin. It is sin-filled in every way. We were reminded of that very soberingly uh, this past week with the shooting there at a sister PCA church in Nashville, Tennessee. And we were reminded of that in, in very, very drastic terms. But even if you were just to, to track the last month, the last year, the last five years, the last ten years, your whole life, your grandparents' life, and, and even your forefathers' life before them, you would know that all the way back from Genesis 3, the world has been full of what we might say bad news. We were talking about even in Sunday school this morning how God created a world, created the skies and the seas, the land and all the beasts that were in them, the sun and the moon and the stars by night, and He called it all good. And then He created man there on the sixth day, and He looked upon man and He called it very good. His creation was very good. And yet in Genesis 3, the bad news started. The world was going to be now chaotic because it would be sin-filled. Every aspect of nature, every aspect of what it means to be a human would be changed, would be tormented, would be tortured by sin. And so sadly, this past Monday was not the first mass shooting at a school that we know within our history or even within our lifetimes. Banks crashing just a few weeks ago was not the first time that there has been sheer panic across the economic landscape of our country. 
wicked leaders. We have dealt with wicked leaders generation after generation after generation. And to make it more specific to you, we have dealt with onsetting sin even with our own lives day by day, moment by moment, constantly and always falling short of God's glorious standards. This Palm Sunday, I come with real bad news. The world is worse than you think it is, and yet at the same time, you are much more of a sinner than you think you are. And yet this Palm Sunday, we come with great news as well. Because Christ enters into Jerusalem to lay down His life as a ransom for many. And in doing so, He knows that He will die. That He will suffer a sinner's death. That He will be buried. And yet at the same time, He will be raised up in victory showing us the resurrection life in which we will enjoy with Him for for forever. That was a little bit of a tongue twister. For forever and ever, right? He gives us a glimpse of that eternal home with the glorified bodies on that first Resurrection Sunday that we're even celebrating this week on Palm Sunday. And one of the things that captivated me this past week as I was studying this text, admittedly, one-off sermons are a little bit more difficult for me to write because I don't exactly know where I'm going. I always know themes of when we're looking at books of the Bible, but when we get to one-off sermons like the triumphant entry, I, I try to pour myself into commentaries to find different aspects of the story in which we might not have covered before, might not even know. But I was reading one particular commentator this week. Actually, I was reading one of his sermons, Dr. Del Ralph Davis. And he began to draw out the glory of this being, this worship being, this praise being in verse 9, before the suffering of Christ on the cross. You remember we're introducing what we might call the Passion Week. We're introducing what the church historically has called Holy Week. We have this... What, what it might seem is we have this kind of pinnacle of the story where there are men, women, and children gathered here for the Passover here in Jerusalem, and they are singing praises to Christ. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet, it will be just a few short days later that Jesus is falsely accused, he's betrayed, he's spat upon, he's beaten, his body tortured and tormented, and he'll die. It seems as if this first scene of Holy Week might be the best that we've got. And yet what Dr. Del Ralph Davis says is actually in the quietness of Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday, that we have the the victory, we have the climax of the story, but you understand what what Del Ralph Davis is drawing out. Even before the climax of the story, even before the darkness really sets in, it seems, we have a right, we have a command, we have a reason to worship. You know, one of the questions that Dr. Davis asked is can we... Worship in anticipated victory in Christ. 
Can we really worship an anticipated victory in Christ? You know, that, that hymn that we sing so often, the church's one foundation, it says that we await the consummation of life forevermore with Jesus. We're, we're waiting, we're anticipating our, our ultimate full victory in Jesus. Can we worship right now, even in the midst of the darkness? And Palm Sunday says yes. In fact, I think that Dr. Davis gets it right when he says just the simple phrase, Hosanna. Hosanna demands for the answer always to be yes. We can worship even in the midst of the darkness. We can worship in anticipation for the victory in which Christ will consummate on the day of glory. And so what does this word mean? Why is this idea of Hosanna and praise to Christ, even in the midst of darkness, so important for the Christian life? I think we have to kind of set the scene a little bit. That's exactly how Matthew, the gospel writer, does it. He puts us there in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Passover or in the time of Passover. And if you're good Old Testament scholars, you remember what Passover is all about. It's, it's a reminder to the people of God that they were once enslaved in Egypt, and yet Christ has given them the victory over the worldly dominion of Pharaoh as a, as a signifier of their ultimate salvation over the dominion of sin and Satan. And so what we, what we have here is this, this annual celebration of, of remembering the, the good works, the saving works of God against Pharaoh, against the chains of slavery in Egypt. And you remember, right, as, as, as Moses and Aaron begin to appear before Pharaoh and they demand for, for Pharaoh to let God's people go, you remember Pharaoh's constant response. No, I'm not going to let him go. And, and Moses and Aaron would say, well, the Lord is going to bring about a plague upon Egypt to show you His power, to show you His glory, to show you His might. And so he begins to do things like turn the river Nile to blood and to send the plague of flies and locusts to cast darkness over the empire of Egypt. And yet on the Passover night, you remember as Moses and Aaron, they, they command, they demand from, from Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, I will not. The judgment upon them at this point would be that, that God would send the angel to pass through the, the nation of Egypt. And for everyone that did not have the blood there painted upon their doorposts, the angel of death would enter in, would pass by, and they would kill the firstborn son. And yet for those who were covered in the blood, you see, would be saved. And so here it is that all of this is at the forefront of, of the people's mind as they gather here in Jerusalem. Even as they see Jesus entering into the city, all of this is at their mind that, 
that God Himself has restored His people, has saved His people, have broken the chains of dominion and evil for His people, and enters in Jesus there upon the donkey's colt, just as was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. You see that quotation there in Matthew's Gospel in verse 5. Behold, your King is coming humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Don't think for one second that the people gathered here in Jerusalem did not know what was going on. They knew the Old Testament text. They even knew, I think that we could safely argue, that many of the people gathered here on this first Palm Sunday knew that what had what had immediately happened before in the ministry of Jesus. You remember in Genesis 11 and 12, before John records for us Jesus entering into Jerusalem, he there in John chapter 11 raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember, it's this scene, it's this powerful scene, one of Dr. Bumgarner's favorite lines in all of Scripture, right? He stinketh. Lazarus had been dead so long that he stinks there in the tomb, and yet Jesus calls him out of the grave, and Lazarus is even walking into Jerusalem and worshiping Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem here on this first Palm Sunday. And so all the murmurings going on. That's Lazarus who was dead, and now Jesus has made him alive. He's riding in on a donkey's colt, just as Zechariah 9 has said. Surely this, surely this is the Messiah. This is the promised one of God. We must worship, right? And so they begin to cry out here, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. You know, sometimes some translations want to say that this word simply means to praise or to worship or to rejoice or to be glad or something along those lines. But John Calvin rightly, rightly demands for us, I think it's safe to say, that, that Hosanna literally means and most fully means this idea of save me or, or, or God save me. Yes, it's full of Adoration and joy is full of a crying out in humility and praise and worship, but it is a call of salvation. Oh God, it seems as if the crowd and the children are saying, Oh God, save us today. And what Dr. Davis argues here is that verse 9 is a taste, is a vision of a, of a blessed hope that we have in Christ despite the darkness that we have suffered and despite the darkness that might be ahead of us. Four things that I think we need to point out here in this idea of Hosanna, what it means to you and me on this, on this Palm Sunday, of course, is that it points to a coming Savior. It points to a coming Savior. We believe, don't we? Uh, that, that Christ will not only come one time in the form of a baby there during Advent on that first Christmas morn, but we believe that Christ will come again, just as we confess together in the Apostles' Creed, that, that Christ will come again 
And He will bring victory for His people. And He will come triumphant. And He will come in might and in power. And the same meaning in which His name holds there at the first Christmas morning is the same name that He is going to have as He ushers His people into glory. Here is Jesus, and His name is Jesus because He is the Savior of sinners. Remember there, as the angel visits Mary, at the prophesying of Jesus being born, it says, and she shall bear a son, and she will call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Beloved, that is what Jesus came to do, and that is what He will come again to do. He will come to eradicate sin. He will come to bring about a full victory over death and the evil one that tempts and tries to lead us astray. And so, to put yourself into the crowd who is at worship here in our text, we must confront one question, or maybe answer one question. Are we sinners? Am I, Matt Adams, a sinner? And the, and the, and the answer is a resounding yes. Every one of us should answer just as Paul speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and true and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among who I am the foremost. That's me. And yet, as we cry out in worship, Hosanna, save us. God, save us today. He comes and will come again as our Savior and our Lord. And He will be victorious for sinners. That is the glory of the Gospel. So if we say, yes, I'm a sinner, not, understand this, not that I'm broken or that I am a victim of my sin, but that I am actively a sinner. If we know Christ, our immediate response should be true joy, true adoration. We should be those who will be singing the loudest. Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And that forces us to understand the second thing that is so captivating here in verse 9. Not only does Hosanna mean that a Savior is coming, but Hosanna means that it's time to celebrate It's time to celebrate the good work in which Christ has done on behalf of His people. That's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, just read or let your eyes fall back on verses 8 and 9. The crowd is spreading their cloaks on the road. They've cut palm branches from the trees. They've spread them on the roads. They're they're waving the palm branches in the air. They're singing all glory Laud and honor to Thee, our eternal King, Hosanna, the Son of David. It is a picture of worship, of praise, of adoration, of joy, of assurance. And we cannot look at this text without saying that this is a a joyful celebration, that there is a joyful energy, you might say, 
that seeks, that focuses upon honoring God here at this first Palm Sunday? Why are they honoring God? Because they understand that this is the good news of great joy for all the people. And so for believers, what you need to understand is at Christ's second coming, at Christ's second coming for believers, that will be a day of celebration. That will be a day of thanksgiving. That will be a day of adoration, of assurance of salvation. This will be a glorious day. And yet for those who do not know Christ, it will be a day of judgment. It will be a day of wrath. It will be a day of mourning and gnashing of teeth. You know, we see that actually. We see that in other occasions in, in the triumphant entry being, being presented to us by other gospel authors. Remember, the gospels all tell us the same story, but they're telling us the same story in different perspectives. And here, Matthew is telling us about the, the worship and the adoration and the glory and the praise that's happening. And yet, other Gospel writers will, will focus upon the religious leaders that hate Jesus. They want to put Jesus to death. And they're sitting there on the day of that first Palm Sunday. And they are mourning. And they are angry. And they are vilified. And they are full of disdain for Jesus. You know, there will be some like them, who will have that same disdain for Jesus within their hearts when He returns to, to judge the world from the throne of judgment on the day of the Lord. And so I ask you the question, on the day of the Lord when Christ returns for His people, will you be one of those who celebrates, who is full of adoration and praise, or will you be full of disdain? Will you be those who are saying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, or, or despising the fact that the world has gone after Christ? You see, for those who sing Hosanna, for those who will be glad on the day of judgment, they will reap their eternal reward. And yet, for those who are full of hate against God and God's people and His Christ, His anointed one, they will be those who will suffer the eternal wrath of God. Are we going to praise and worship? Or are we going to suffer the wrath of God for all eternity? This, this Hosanna means that it's time to celebrate it. The second coming of Christ, beloved, the invitation is for God to be celebrated by you, to be praised by you, and at the same time, praised even now. You know, here it is that we have to understand that, that we must be those who are full of joy. You know, we should never be satisfied or even wear it as a badge of honor for, for other denominations to call us as Presbyterians the frozen chosen. And you know, that's what they call us, right? We're the frozen chosen because we can barely crack our lips as we sing. As, as if God hasn't done a good work for you. As if God hasn't sent His only begotten Son for you. And you say, what am I to celebrate? You are to celebrate the Gospel. That's why God 
deserves our worship. And that is why we sing in worship. That is why we offer praises to His name. That is why we offer thanksgivings and adorations. I think, I think you know, the Puritans are on my mind so much. I'm not only writing a paper on the Puritans, but we're teaching a Puritan book on Tuesday mornings for the men's Bible study. The Puritans are on my mind constantly these days. They were firm believers in what they called experiential theology. It's not enough to know that Christ has saved us, but there must be a reaction, a physical reaction to that truth. And beloved, if it's not joy, you do not know Jesus. That is what is being proclaimed here. That real joy, real assurance comes from knowing God. And you say, well, Matt, you introduced this sermon with saying that the world around us is is sin-filled and the world around us is, is full of bad news. How can I celebrate in times like these? We just look to the crowd here. You look to the crowd who are celebrating who are celebrating on this first Palm Sunday knowing what is about to happen. Now, I don't think they knew the specifics of what was going to happen. I don't know that they knew that Judas was going to be the one who would betray. In fact, I'm pretty confident in saying that they didn't know the details, but they knew the story that the promised Messiah would come and that He would be the one who would enter into Jerusalem there on a donkey's colt, but this Messiah would also be betrayed, spat upon, murdered, dead, and buried. They knew the story, and yet, despite the darkness that laid ahead, they worshipped at this moment. And that's what we need to understand as well, that these hosannas remind us of the costly reality of Christ's love for us. That hosannas remind us of the costly reality of God's love for us. Remember, it means... Oh, save us, God, or save us today, God. And you cannot escape the Gospels without seeing that the only way to salvation is through the atoning death of Jesus. Here it is that Jesus' Messiahship, we might say, is on full display. Here is the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, riding humbly on a donkey's colt, knowing that death was just a few short days away. Knowing that Isaiah 53 must be fulfilled just as Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled. By His wounds we are healed and by His death He died for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we have gone our own way, but the Lord God Almighty has laid upon Him, talking about Christ, the iniquity of us all. You see, our salvation cost us the only begotten Son of God. Our salvation cost us the very life of Christ. Our salvation could not be accomplished. Our cries for salvation could not be accomplished without the atoning death of Jesus. This is why, beloved, that we must understand that God must have been in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, perfectly righteous and also facing a sinner's death. He he had to be actively and passively obedient is how we would say this. He had to obey the law of God in every way 
In every way that we fail, Christ succeeded, and yet in our place condemned He stood. That is the Gospel, and that is our salvation. That our salvation was a costly reality to Christ. And sometimes I think that we forget that. And and, and what singing Hosanna, what focusing upon these words requires of us is to be reminded that salvation cost the life of Christ. Salvation cost the death of death. He had to die. He had to suffer. He had to be rejected by the Father because a holy Father cannot look upon sin. He had to experience these things so that we might be redeemed. Hosanna in the highest means that that Christ's love for us was a costly reality. And then finally, it gives us an anticipation. It gives us an anticipation because it reminds us again and again and again that we have the victory. That we have the victory. You know, looking at the death of Christ, remembering the death of Christ can, can really make can really make our emotions hard to bear, we might say. Because we, we're reminded of our sinfulness and we're reminded of, of Christ undeservingly going to the cross. And we think about that line in that new hymn, it was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. And, and, and immediately, joy maybe isn't the first reaction. Maybe it's disgust. Actually, I hope it's disgust. I hope you're disgusted by your sin. It's disgust. It's solemn. And because of that, the church historically has celebrated a season that says that we should fast and that we should kind of reject ourselves or put ourselves through... Put ourselves through some sort of earthly uh, torment, or, or, or take away from our flesh, and and, and you know most uh, or other denominations call this call this Lent, and there's a reason we don't celebrate Lent. We don't celebrate Lent. We don't go around grieving and broken because we know that it wasn't an ugly Friday or a dark Friday or a bad Friday. It was a good Friday. It, the, the Holy Week is a good week because it is a picture, it's a picture of revelation, you understand. Because what we see in Revelation is not a people who are, who are sulking around, who are rejected, who are weeping, but for God's people, Holy Week is a, is a week that we focus upon the return of Christ, the hosannas and the hallelujahs and the victory that Christ brings. I serve a living Savior and He is seated upon the throne even today. He is victorious. Hail to the Lord's anointed, we sang. It talks about right now how He sits upon His throne and He is perfectly at rest. All of His enemies underfoot. 
And that's the same victory that we walk in today. We do not have to be rejected. We do not need to pay some sort of physical penance for our sins. We are victorious even now because Jesus lives and He will live forever. And we will sing hosannas and hallelujahs forever. And our hearts will rejoice forever. And our Savior has come to pay a ransom for many and those many will be gathered with Him forever. And He will wipe away every tear. He will take away every pain. He will remove every sin. There will be no more sickness nor death for God's people. There will be just victory and hope and assurance and joy. And so, beloved, even though the world seems bleak and dark, even though we still struggle with our sin and we are called, yes, to mortify our sins, but understand this, the world will soon pass away and the kingdom of Christ will reign forever. And all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been placed upon Christ there at the cross of Calvary and there is no reason for rejection because we have perfect communion, perfect harmony. We have been reconciled to God our Father. Are you living in the victory of Christ? Are you singing hosannas and hallelujahs to the King of kings who has forgiven you of all of your sins? I hope that you are and I hope that you know Him. Let us pray to that end. Amen. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to this, your word. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be a people full of hosannas and hallelujahs. That during this holy week, we would not feel some sort of rejection, some sort of farness from the Lord, but that we would feel near and that we would feel his victory and that we would feel his assurance. Would you fill us with your spirit to feel these things? so that we might be reminded of the hosannas and the hallelujahs that we ought to be singing and that we ought to be celebrating with and returning thanks by. Father, You have done a good work for us as Your people. And so, Father, we pray that we would be a people who would praise and adore Your name until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Let us be a worshiping people, preparing ourselves for even more worship for all eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.